Blog Talk Radio. And now we come to the great man himself, a man history records as being instrumental in the creation of America's public education system. Horace Mann was an American educator who served as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, part of the American Congress. Horace Mann was the key reformer of the education system at the time. In 1837, he became the head of the newly created Board of Education in Massachusetts, where he began the work that would eventually earn him the title as the father of American public education. After reading through the educational models of different countries, Mann finally hears about a particularly successful style that had been developed in Prussia, which is now modern-day Germany. The Prussian system had shown to be such a success for the government's purposes that, accompanied by a few other educators, Horace Mann travels to Germany to investigate. Upon their return to the United States, they lobbied heavily to have the Prussian model adopted. All in favor say aye! Interest in Prussia had also been growing in the northern half of the continent. Around this time, the Canadian superintendent of schools, Egerton Ryerson, traveled to Prussia in search of a new model of education. His journeys also included visiting Horace Mann in Massachusetts to further examine the system he would eventually adopt. George Brown, the editor of Toronto's Globe newspaper, was even quoted saying that Ryerson had successfully imported Prussian education into Ontario. During the next 30 years or so, a whole line of American dignitaries came to Germany to earn degrees. Interestingly enough, those who earned degrees in Germany came back to the United States to staff all the major universities. By 1900, all the PhDs in the United States were trained in Prussia. As the first secretary of the State Board of Education, Horace Mann promoted his new concept that the state is the father of children. He stressed that it was the responsibility of the state to ensure that education was provided for the child. A very noble idea, of course, but what exactly did he mean by that? And how did he define education? It seems like a very broad subject. It is a very broad subject. Education encompasses all of human history and all the knowledge we have gathered during that time. Not to mention, and perhaps most importantly, what we as human beings learn over our lifetime on a personal level. Horseman's 10th annual report in 1846 led to the first state law that made it mandatory for children to go to school. It was during that year that he supported the governor of Massachusetts in adopting the Prussian model of education for the entire state. How do you do that? The governor of the time, Edward Everett, as it turns out, was the very first to receive a PhD from, can you guess where? That's right, Prussia. From then on it spread very quickly. Just after Everett installed the Prussian model in the state of Massachusetts, the governor of New York set up the very same method in 12 New York schools. Horace Mann's sister, Elizabeth Peabody, of the Peabody Foundation, saw to it that right after the Civil War, the Prussian system that was then being taught in the northern states was integrated into the conquered south. By 1900, most of the compulsory schooling laws that implemented the new system had been passed. From then on, every American child grew up under the Prussian system. So what exactly was the Prussian education system that everyone thought was so amazing that it just had to be adopted throughout the free world? To give you just a bit of background, in the 18th century, the Kingdom of Prussia, which is now modern-day Germany, was among the first countries of the world to introduce free and compulsory education. 
After the Prussians were defeated by Napoleon in 1806, it was decided that the reason why the battle was lost was that the Prussian soldiers were thinking for themselves in the battlefield instead of following orders. To make sure that this couldn't happen again, a new eight-year system of schooling was created. This new system provided not only the skills needed for the early industrialized world, such as reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also a strict education that taught duty, discipline, respect for authority, and the ability to follow orders. Elite children destined for higher offices went on to attend private schools, while the rest of the population had no access to the secondary education. They were destined for the working class. Through this new system, the Prussian court tried to create social obedience in the citizens through indoctrination. Every individual had to become convinced at the core of their being that the king was just, his decisions were always right, and the need for obedience paramount. In truth, the entire purpose of the system was to instill loyalty to the crown and to train young men for the military and bureaucracy. To do this, it was necessary to squeeze out all independent thinking from the masses. Influencing this new system from the beginning was Prussian philosopher Johann Gottlieb Fitch. Combining John Locke's view that the children are a blank slate and Rousseau's ideas on how to write on that slate, Prussia established an educational system that was considered scientific in nature. An important part of the Prussian system was that it defined for the child what was to be learned, what was to be thought about, and how long to think about it. In order to have an efficient policy-making class and a subclass beneath it, it was believed that one had to remove the power of most people to make sense out of the available information. In other words, critical thinking had to be done away with. Now, if you're wondering why the average person doesn't know that the North American education system is based directly on the Prussian model, it might just be because its original purpose was not designed for the good of the individual, but for the good of the government. The philosophy of Johann Fitch directly influenced the creation of the Prussian model of schooling, as he is quoted saying, The schools must fashion the person, and fashion him in such a way that he simply cannot will otherwise than what you wish him to will. With quotes like these, you can see why his involvement is not well known. Education should aim at destroying free will, so that after pupils are thus schooled, they will be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. When this technique has been perfected, Every government that has been in charge of education for more than one generation will be able to control its subjects securely without the need of armies or policemen. In 1807, in a Berlin occupied by Napoleon, Johann Fitch gave a series of famous addresses to the German nation. Fitch spoke of the superiority of German people above all others. The content of these speeches was a catalyst for the Prussian education system and German nationalism. In other earlier works, he calls Jews a state within a state that would, quote, undermine the German nation. He openly expressed a desire to expel Jews from Germany. Fitch had a deep influence on the rise of the Third Reich and continues to be deemed, quote, the spiritual father of modern neo-Nazism. Which begs the question, why would the father of American education make it a law that every child spend their youth in a system created by the father of neo-Nazism? Historians reflect that one of the greatest social factors that allowed a man like Hitler to rise to power was that the German people had been bred from birth to respect authority above all else and accept it without question. Which begs another question. If the entire population of North America is raised in a system adopted from pre-Nazi Germany, what are we setting ourselves up for?
After 46 years and teaching you morons for 23 years, you want to take the easy way out because you think life is a journey. That is horseshit. Life's a journey if you're a moron and you're retarded. That's why, you know, that's what, that's what you've done with the life up here to four. It's been a journey. And how good is the fucking journey? You tell me. Wouldn't you have rather, when the first time you went out with somebody that you thought you were in love with, thought is the operative word, wouldn't you have lied to have a, a template? Oh, let's follow this process instead of, because that is a journey. And all the mistakes you made, 
and raising this fucking little shithead for kids you got instead of having this book? Life doesn't have to be a journey. It's a journey for morons. You think life is a journey for the Trump kids? It's a motherfucking process, the same process his daddy raised him by. Same for me. Life ain't a journey if you're my kid. It's a goddamn process. So you tell me if you're results-orientated at all, who's better off, the journey or the process? And you just heard, you know, and he, uh, but he was able to um, uh, come back from death. Rigor mortis had already set in. Come back from death, and now we're following the steps more carefully, as he pointed out. Um, and uh, and we haven't even seen the first step yet. And we don't get to the first step till the third, the afternoon of the third day. Because unless we build the right foundation, uh, I mean, the house will be wobbly, and it'll be, uh, you know, you gotta, we got to build the right foundation. And for the most part, most people in this room and most people listening on YouTube have to come to the realization, as sad as it is, that you have pissed, you have urinated, heretofore, up until this morning, your entire life down a fucking shithole. Very simple. That's it. If you want to create massive wealth. If you just want to be a happy, slappy housewife from fucking Dundee or a happy, slappy bimbo from fucking Toronto or a happy, slappy guy who goes to the Little League games in Mesa, Arizona, then that's okay. But if you want to create some fucking money... And money's not everything. But if you don't money, think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to fucking shop. Say that with an Irish accent. Okay. If, <laughs> if you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. If you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. Correct. <laughs> uh, correct. And, but I mean, you can get money and then go save the world. You can get money and save the forests in Brazil. You make money and go save global warming, which I don't believe in. You can, I mean, and save the, uh, the kids in Biafra and all that shit. But without money, you can't save a fucking thing. Don't you understand? Don't the fucking idiots on YouTube understand that? Until you make some shekels. Until you make some fucking coin. You can't help anybody. Because if love got the job done, you wouldn't all be fucked up. And I've had mothers, daughters, grandfather, daughter, uh, son. I've run three generations of the gamut in this seminar here. And they all say the exact same thing. The daughter looks to the mother, you fucked me up. The, the mother looks to the father, you fucked me up. And they all agree. And where it really gets dicey is the second or, three day, second or third days after they have a few drinks, a few pops. Then it gets it can get fucking ugly, as Sally would say. Fucking ugly. Nothing like a mother to turn on her daughter or vice versa. Nothing like it. It's like in the fucking movies. 
It's like a goddamn soap opera. Because that's life. And if we admit it to ourselves, then we have an opportunity to move on. If we don't, then we're just fucked in the quagmire. All right, peace, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Truth Tuesday Show here on Hindsight Radio, the information station changing the nation. Uh, before I go into what I'm going to talk about, let's do a mic check, as always. Can you guys hear me clear? Uh, I know they're messing around with the phone lines. People are complaining they can't get on. Uh I, I I left the numbers last week in the chat. The the numbers to get on <clears throat> well if you can hear me, you're on, so I don't really have to say it. Um Yeah, I know. They don't want y'all to get the chills. Um and that's I that's understandable. We're living in an age of people do not like hearing the truth. They really don't. It will it will cut you out. <laughs> If you tell them the truth, you know, I uh, decided to go get some groceries this morning to uh, for the house, and I get out my truck. I park as I'm driving to park in the space I want to park in. There's a guy coming out of the store. He appears to be coming out, so he's in the middle of the parking lot. Can barely walk. He's limping, and uh, and he's got a cigarette in his mouth. It's not lit, but it's in his mouth. And he's holding a bag. I mean, this guy, it, it was like he, he, he just blowing him. He was going to fall over, right? So I parked. So he, when I parked, he comes up to where I'm at, get out the car. Hey, bro, man, can you give me a couple of dollars to get something to eat? And, you know, me, I'm generous. I, you know, I give people big tips all the time, you know. And uh, me and my daughter purposely at one point would go out to restaurants and give the, whoever waits on us a, a really huge tip. I'm not going to say how much, but it's a, it's a tip. You know, it's a really nice size tip. Um, I believe in giving. But this time my spirit said no. And I have learned to listen to that voice that says no. Don't do it. I said no. So he asked me for a couple of dollars, and I said no, I'm not giving you a couple of dollars. You got a cigarette in your mouth. You could barely walk. Maybe if you take the, the money you're spending on that cigarette and buy yourself something to eat, oh, uh, that might work for you. <laughs> he looked at me kind of shocked that I would say something like that. But I gave him one of the best advice he's probably had in a long time. Don't spend, you're spending your, your money on something that could destroy your health, and it's, obviously it's killing you. You look like you're about to, you know, you one foot, you know, not one foot. It looks like you're in the grave and your head is just above the ground, the hole. That's how bad he looks. So he gets mad, and I became, <laughs> he starts yelling, just say no, bitch-ass nigga. <laughs> So when he said it the first time, I heard him, and I just kept walking. Then he walks towards me saying it, and I said, I think it would be a good idea if you keep saying what you're saying, going in the other direction, not coming towards me, right? And I just proceeded to walk on in the store, and he's just yelling louder and louder. I'm ignoring him. 
you know, over, like while he's just saying this over and over, and I'm laughing. It didn't phase me. It didn't bother me that he insulted me. He's yelling in the parking lot. But it, it, it reminded me of a scripture, uh, way he was acting. So people want you to give them things, but they don't want the truth. They don't want the real knowledge that's going to they can use for the rest of their life to get themselves out of their situation. You know, how much is a pack of cigarettes? Are you know, like 10 bucks? Uh, I, I know they're expensive. That, you can buy a, a one meal with that, you know. If, if you want to budget, you know, you got, I don't eat McDonald's or anything like that, but if my money was funny and I had a few dollars, that's what I'd be eating. I'd be eating them burgers from McDonald's, <laughs> you know, Dollar off the dollar junior junior meal, whatever it is, you know you do what you have to do with the money you have, right? So it reminded me of the scripture, John, um, chapter six, starting at verse twenty-two. It says, "The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea so that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got." <laughs> had not gotten into the boat with his disciples. But that his disciples had gone away alone. So they were looking for Jesus. They were looking, and they want something, right? Then, the, then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So they're looking for him vigorously. Now, he had just finished teaching these people. He had fed them already, and he taught them. And you know, he, they saw miracles, and they, they, they got taught mind science, how to use their mind to get what they want, right? When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them very quick, very truly. Now, see, the scriptures play it down. I'm sure he reacted a little more uh, sternly than this. But, you know, when they rewrote the scriptures, revised the scriptures, they made it sound so lovely and sweet so, you know, so people can absorb this, right? Here it is. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, he's telling them, Y'all didn't tell me because I did all these great things. You tell me because you want something that I can put in your belly, your stomach. Selfish, right? Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. So what is he saying? Don't work for the physical stuff. Get the mind right. Because if your mind and your consciousness is of, in the highest form, you will get anything you want. If you're lacking something, that's because your mind is not in connection with that. It's not in line with that. And you keep talking about, man, it's, it's, it's hard out here. That's exactly what you're going to get, hard. You keep talking about that. We don't realize how powerful our words and how, how our words is really what's hanging up. It's not just the words, it's the consciousness of your, your mind that's producing those very words. But let me finish. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So he's saying believe in him who has sent. See, the theologians, the scholars say just believe in Jesus and everything is all right. What he's actually saying is have the same Christ consciousness as me so that you can do or produce the same miracles that I'm producing. That's really what he's saying. See, they, they devised this and made you think, oh, just, oh, I believe in Jesus and that's it. You already know there's thousands of people in the church right now saying they believe in Jesus and nothing happened to them. They're still stuck in the same position they was in 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago until they die. Nothing has changed. So just believing in Jesus or Christ is not enough. That has been proven over the centuries, thousands of years. It has been proven that that is not enough. You have to get into the Christ consciousness in order to be able to achieve that which you desire. Let me finish. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. See, they're, they're deaf, dumb, and blind. They're still talking about some manna, and he's trying to tell them to get their mind right. And they want to see more signs to believe. After he done done many signs, said them before, and they're still looking. See, it just goes to show you, people do not work. The real work is a constant looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing what you need to do to be in your highest consciousness, being your greatest self. Most people don't want to put in that word. This man walking around limping and cigarette on his lips, he enjoys that life. Why do I say that? Because he doesn't want to change. He wants someone to can him something. Give me a couple of dollars, bro. Feel sorry for me. I'm broke. And if I would have given him that money, I would have helped him believe in that nonsense. Instead, I gave him advice. Get rid of the cigarette, take that money, and buy your food with it. You see? Oh, he don't want to get that up. I became a bitch-ass nigga because I told him the truth. And that showed me what I was really dealing with. See, let me show you something. The man himself was a divine being. I still see him as divinely. That's what I was looking at, and I was talking to that part of him. But he allowed his undivine, his lower self, to come out and speak all kind of vulgar things. The Bible will put it as demons coming out. Demons are nothing more than those multiple Thoughts that you have that are that are, are negative, lower states of mind. Those are the demons that's running through your mind. And that's what he chose to abide in. Instead of abiding in the Christ consciousness, and I've talked to other people that, you know, just uh, the day before, I'm sitting in the parking lot, waiting more on me and Lauren went for a bike ride, so we stopped to get something to eat. Just sitting there, I'm waiting on the food and the woman with about four small children came up to me and said, sir, can I get a couple of dollars to get something to eat? And I chuckled. I said, a couple of dollars? What world do you live in? A couple of dollars is not going to get you nothing to eat. So I proceeded to give her more than a couple of dollars. I'm not going to say the amount, 
And guess what she said to me? She said, thank you, and moved on. She didn't get upset because I said something about the couple of dollars. See, it's hard out here for some, some people simply because they're thinking it's hard, simply because they believe in not having. No, Akeem, it's not that simple. Yes, it is that simple. All of these homeless people you see out there, all of these people that are struggling, they believe in that lifestyle. Why do I say that? Because they live in it. If, if I were to fall into that position, somewhere I agreed with that position and I became that. You know? And I'm going to give you a real-life experience of mine personally that I know this is true because I lived it. So um, then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. See, they was looking at Moses being the one to give it. And, um, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. What is he talking about when he says his father? Is he talking about some being in the sky? He's talking about the higher consciousness of himself. Those supreme thoughts of divine consciousness, that's exactly what he's talking about. See, the Bible, how they wrote it, personified everything, but the whole Bible is one big, big metaphysical um, book. It's all talking about the act of your mind, the many aspects of your mind. And that's all it's ever talking about. But they took those aspects of the mind and made, put it into personifications. And the only way you're going to understand this book is if you do that, if you take it and relate it to your consciousness. See, people can give you stuff all the time, but if I keep giving you stuff without showing you that you can do this yourself, you can make this happen for yourself just by a simple thought, you will always stay stuck in the same position. So some people it's not good to give things to. Him, he, it wouldn't have did him any good just giving him that couple of dollars. That couple of dollars could have killed him. He might have went and did something and killed himself. Who knows? But anyway. Let me give you a perfect example of why I say the mind is a very powerful thing. See, I've operated out of this consciousness at times, and I didn't even know I was operating out of the consciousness of my own higher thinking. When I was around 17, and I told the story a long time ago on the air, but I'm going to tell it again because it's just to bring it home. You know, I, I didn't know where I wasn't always an upstanding citizen. I had left home because I didn't want to go to the Kingdom Hall, the church anymore. I left home. So I was living with my aunt. And, you know, of course, I didn't I to make money. And got me into the street life. So at this point in time, it was summer. Ending, it was the end. It was the, towards the end of summer because I know when I got that job was around early September, late August, early September. Um. We, you know, our our spot where we were working out of got raided. Fortunate for me, I was not there, so I didn't get caught up in it. The other fellas did. So all the money's gone, and, you know, I, I didn't have any money. I was done. You know, that living that fast life, 
you spend the money as fast as you get it. You know, I was making <laughs> more money than, you know, people out there, you know, regular jobs. I was making good money, thousands of dollars a day, and blowing it as fast as I was getting it, right? But I had no money, nothing. Um, and now that I recall, my aunt needed some money for some food, and I gave her what I had last in my pocket. But that day, I decided, you know what, I can You can't live this life anymore. You can't be running these streets. You got three ways to go. You're going to go to the grave, you're going to go to jail, or you're going to be hooked on your product. One of those three was my destiny if I kept into that lifestyle. So um, I decided to go look for a job. And this is what I said. I said, I'm going to look for a job today, and I got to get the classifieds. In those days, <laughs> some of y'all young folks might not know what classified sections are. But it was in the newspaper, the Daily News newspaper out of New York. I said, I'm going to get on the train. I didn't have money to get on the train. I said, I'm going to hop this, train, this turnstile. I'm going to get on the train, and there will be a newspaper on the train for me to read to get the classifieds. I hopped the train style. Thank, thank goodness no uh, cops were there to stop me. There was a, a newspaper right there when I walked. The doors open. It was a newspaper sitting right there, beeline straight to it. It was sitting on the seat. Grabbed it, opened it up, looked in it, the classifieds, and I saw a job. It was a messenger job. Um. And I said, wow, I don't, have the, I don't have the money to make the phone call. So I just got on the train, saw the job I wanted to call, and the name of the company was called Advanced Communications. I still remember it. Uh, it was a messenger company. Um, I said, I don't have the money to make the phone call, but I'm going to get off at the next stop. I know there's a pay phone there, but there's going to be some money in that pay phone for me to make the call. So I get off, pay phone right there. I put my hand in the little change thing, and sure enough, the money was there for me to make the phone call. Put it in. I called the, the number, asked them about the job, and he said, come on down, come on in, and gave me the address. I went to the address. It was, it was downtown uh, Manhattan, lower Manhattan, near the World Trade Center. Got there. Now, let me, uh, well, I'll tell you this part. I got in there, guy, I said, I'm here for the messenger job. He said, here, fill this out. So I'm up there filling it out. And then there was, someone spoke to me from behind and said, hey, you, you know, New York, they don't, they're not polite. They just, and we're used to that. Growing up there, you're just used to that type of communication. You know, people coming from New York, coming to the South, they talk like that. Southerners don't understand that. But that's how we communicate New York. You say, hey, you over there. Uh, you know how to get to the World Trade Center? And I didn't know he was talking to me, so I ignored it at first. And then the two brothers on the side of me said, hey, you talking to you. I said, uh, I can find out. He said, okay, I want you to go to Full World Trade Center and see a guy named uh, – Joe V. I said, okay. Now, let me set the scene for you. I had on a white dress shirt and some stonewashed jeans. Not only were they stonewashed, they were like a lime green 
stonewashed thing. Something definitely you don't wear to get a job. But this man picked me out to go to that job. All the other guys were dressed like a poor job. They had on slacks. They had on a shirt. One guy even had on a tie. I never forget this. Why am I telling you this? Because in my mind, out of these three guys, it was three of us things, two guys to the right of me, only one was determined to get the job. Why do I say that? Because I was determined to get the job. I had already envisioned myself with the job. And I got the job out of two people who were sitting there looking more qualified to have the job, looking like someone who was looking for a job. So it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter how your education is. What matters is your state of consciousness. What it is that's in your head that you're thinking and trying to achieve. Because I can promise you, if I can get in those two brothers' heads that were standing to the right of me and ask them some questions today, and I said, what were you thinking at that time when you were trying? They, they probably said, you know, they, it, it wasn't a big deal about the job. They probably had some doubts about the job. I didn't have any jobs. I knew that day I was going to get a job. And everything I envisioned happened. Newspaper sitting on the seat. Money sitting in the phone. What's the odds? The odds is it was no odds. I made the odds. I made, I determined what I was going to do through the thought in my mind. And I can tell you plenty of stories after that. Consciousness is everything. Consciousness is the key to your success. What your consciousness is dwelling on is what you're getting. So if you're in bad relationships, you're getting bad people in your life, that's in your consciousness. And you're drawing that to you. You're having difficulties, you're drawing that, that's, that's difficulties in the mind first before you experience it. You see? And I can go on and tell you, I've worked at the job, I was there, uh, I, I was there for about a month, and, you know, they was only paying $3.35 an hour back then. That ain't not a lot of money, you know. And, you know, one check, you buy a, a piece of clothing, and it's gone, you know. And then on top of that, my mom was taxing me because I went back home, you know, I went back to the house and stayed with my parents. And um, they were, well, you know, you, you're a man now. You, you're making money. You're going to have to give me some money to stay here. <laughs> so my mom was taking $30 a week out of that little bit of money I was making. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy she did that because it taught me responsibility, you know. Then, you know, I worked that job, and then uh, I wanted other jobs, and I put in my mind I was getting that job. See, it's all about the consciousness. And y'all heard me on the show talk to people, you know, many shows ago, there's people that's in jail or about to go to jail, and I'm envisioning yourself getting out. I'm not telling them that because... I'm guessing that that's going to work. I know it's going to work. Because even after I got that job and the, the, the divine mind made it so that I can get that job, I got hard-headed again. I felt that that wasn't enough money. I'm going to go out here and make me quick money to buy this leather barber. 
And then I have I got away with it one week, went another week, got away the third week, I didn't get away with it. Got arrested. Now I got this okay, got this job that can lead to more opportunity and I'm out here messing around in the streets again. I, and then my court and then I got a new job making more money with the exchange. And here I'm got this 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 case over my head. So I went to court in the with the envision in my mind, I'm shortcutting this story, and I've told this story before too. I'm, that I wasn't this case is dismissed. I don't know nothing about all of the stuff I teach y'all now. I said they're gonna dismiss I, I had it in my mind. Right? That's what I was believing and hoping and, and, and doing. Little Italian guy came in here, he asked me what's going, what happened. I told him what happened. He go talk to the prosecutor. And then the Italian guy said to me, I came, um, just, just disagree with whatever they're saying. I'm like, what? And I'm like, like what are they going to say? Next, you know, the prosecutor, when they call my case up, I come up to the prosecutor and say, hey, we're going to dismiss this case through lack of evidence. And I was like, huh? Although I had it in my mind that I was going to get it dismissed, I still, you know, when I heard it, it was still unbelievable. Case dismissed. See, it's not about the paperwork, y'all. The paperwork helps you get in the right frame of mind. But really what makes your case go away is your decision and your connecting with the energy of it being gone and done with. Some of y'all are still fighting cases. Because somewhere creeping in your mind is some doubt. Some of y'all are not getting paperwork filed. Somewhere creeping in your mind, you felt you were going to meet opposition. I know I might be touching some nerves. No, I can't. It's not. It's these people that are evil. They're trying to get me. Nothing can get you. If you don't believe in it, you, it's the belief in them getting you that's getting you. It is your own thoughts, your own ideas about the situations that's getting you first. Then they get you. It's your connection, your agreement. Wherever two touch and agree, there I will be. You see? Y'all touch and agree. Y'all just look at it on me and a brother of like mine. We touch and agree. We gonna get what we want. No, y'all touch and agree with the things you don't want. That works. You see, that touch and agree is not. <laughs> it, 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 it's not prejudice. <laughs> it don't just work on the good stuff. It works with the bad stuff too. If you agreeing. To something bad, you got it. There's your two in touch and, and agree. A physical person got it. You got it. No, you as many aspects of your mind that you're agreeing with. Many aspects of your consciousness. And truth be told, there's more than one of you inside of there. <laughs> well, you saying I got multiple personalities? Yes, I'm saying that. You got multiple states of consciousness. And see, the scholars and all of them don't want you to know that. And you need to get in agreement, get into uh, the understanding of all of those multiple states of consciousness. You know what I'm talking about. One minute you're in a good mood, next minute you're in a bad mood. 
That's a different state of consciousness. That's a different you. That's a different state of you. It's multiple facets of you, and there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make you crazy or loony. See, they just stuck all these people in the house in, in these in these jails like they're crazy, and they're not. Y'all think Charles Manson was crazy. He wasn't crazy. If you understand the story, I'm just kind of sidestepping. If you understand that Charles Manson and that those those heinous crimes that they committed, they were committed against people in the movie industry. And we all know what some people are into in the movie industry. They're into those child sacrifices and all that stuff. And what Charles Manson was doing was killing that. See, that's why they stuck him in prison and made him feel like he was nuts. All that stuff y'all talking about on the internet now with all these movie stars are doing, that's what he was killing. That's just all. Let me get back. You have multiple states of consciousness, and at any one point, given point in time, just like that brother that I saw today, he was in his lowest state of consciousness, and that's why he reacted that way. He chose to agree with that state of consciousness. And all of Christ was telling the people, listen, you can, you can go for the lower state of consciousness, and that's just eating and getting, getting your physical body nourished, or you can go for the higher state of consciousness and get your spiritual body nourished. See, that's why it says put forth the kingdom of heaven or put forth the divine, put first the divine consciousness of God, put that first, then all these things will be added to you. The money, the prosperity, the peace, the good relationships, put forth these things, those things first, then all of those things add. Because you don't go after the things and then put that first, Put it, then go for the consciousness. No, you go for the consciousness first. Achieving the divine consciousness first, then all those things fall into the place. Then you'll see that money is just pieces of paper. That's it. All right, remember that. Go into the higher states of your mind. I know, see, these teachings are not very popular for some people who listen because they're looking for me to give them a remedy on how to get money off the birth certificate how to win their case, you know, that's all understandable. But you're not going to win anything until your mind gets into the Christ consciousness and the divine consciousness of God in you. You're just messing around. I, 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 I see it every day. I got people right now I've, I've worked with and I've had to cut them off. Because I said, I always, I, I always preface it, listen, you're going to have to believe in this for yourself. You're going to have to study this for yourself. You're going to have to pass your body and be Come connect to this for yourself, for this to work. I can do the paperwork, and they hard-headed. They, they think, okay, I got this paperwork. I'm going to run in the courtroom, and I'm going to speak this thing that's on this paperwork, and I'm going to win. And as soon as the judge asks them a trip-up question, they get stuck. Why? Because they only relied on the words I put on the paper. And then when that don't work, oh, that don't work, they go run to somebody else's information. You know how many emails I get a day from people sharing me other people's website of garbage? Because most of it's garbage. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry if that offends you who keeps sending me stuff. 
That has nothing to do with higher consciousness. You know what I want you all to start? Send me some higher consciousness information. Stuff on how to improve my thinking. Don't send me Willie Bobo cited about, you know, adrenochrome and all of that. Don't send me that stuff. Baby sacrifice. I don't want to read that stuff. I don't even read that stuff. Send me something. Send me some Reverend Ike. If I ain't Reverend Ike, I ain't played, send me that. Okay? Send me something that is going to help me keep my mind in the highest state of consciousness because that's where I need it to be. The last thing y'all want my mind to do is go into a low state of consciousness because some of y'all have witnessed me in that low state of consciousness. I don't want to be there. So help me. Send me some high consciousness, how to think, how to, how to manifest the good that I desire. That's what, when I share stuff, that's what I try to share to y'all, higher consciousness ideals. And I know that's not popular because, y'all, because so many people are looking for drama. I'm not looking for drama. I got enough of my own drama. The main drama that I deal with every day is looking myself in the mirror and trying to fight off that lower consciousness trying to stay focused on being peaceful, not not argumentative. Because I'm telling you, that low IQ, he's too. I don't think the devil got anything on him, for real, when he come out. <laughs> Y'all don't want that. So please send me some good stuff. I, I'm asking. And I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you guys trying to share with me, though. But share me some good stuff, not that lower form. I don't want to see child sacrifice. I don't want to see Hillary Clinton, you know, drinking by the blood. I don't want to see black folks on the table being cut up, hanging. I don't want to see none of that stuff. Just send me the good, the things, the things that I want to manifest. Send me, send me pictures of millions of dollars. Send me that. You know, I, I, I appreciate that. But anyway. Title of the show is Gold and Silver, or Silver and Gold. Um, the reason why I want to talk about that today, and then I'll go to the phone line and pick up somebody. Uh, put Press number one if you got something to say. And um, y'all know we've, been, we've dealt with money since the beginning of time or some type form of currency. Give me a second. And I've been telling you guys what to buy. This is all biblical. I've been telling you all to get some silver, right? And y'all because I'm believing in knowing that oh uh, that I think silver is gonna be eventually more valuable than gold. The reason why I say that, a lot of experts are saying it too. Uh, the reason why I say that, because silver has more use for it. You can do more with silver than you can with gold. And at this current state of, of uh, buying frizzy when it comes to silver, um, it's going to become a shortage. It already is a shortage because I'm going to the site. I got to wait to get stuff. And y'all do know that Jesus was betrayed with 30 pieces of silver, right? So silver was used throughout time. And right now, silver is grossly 
undervalued. Now, last week I read y'all the um um what is the U.S. debt clock? Let's go back. Let's see what silver dollar to silver ratio is this week. I'm gonna keep talking about this every week to keep reminding y'all what to do. If you could just buy one, buy one. You know, just buy one. You know, one at a time. Right now, it's three thousand nine hundred seventy-nine dollars to one dollar. Gold is thirty-three thousand to one dollar, and and some people are predicting that it's going to flip. Where silver is going to be the thing. And the reason why I have tendency to believe that, because some of the, the bigger guys are laughing that off. And usually when I see them acting like that, they don't want everybody in on it. So they'll try to play like that's not true. But silver is going to be it. Uh, so buy as much as you can um, when you can. All right? Now I'm going to read this article, and then we'll get, some, get the phone line. The history of currency, what is a denarius worth? I was, you know, I got up this month and said, you know, what's denarius? Silver, you know? So it is silver. So during Roman times, there was a period when a denarius was worth about a day's wage. By today's numbers, the quotient of silver contained in a denarius is worth about $3.62. Now, this article is from April 4th, 2017, so this is pretty old. That may not seem like much, but it turns out $3.62 in value held a lot more weight several thousand years ago. So $3.62 was a day's wage, which was pretty valuable back then, according to this. Hyperinflation has led to a difference in values. What's interesting about the denarius today, however, is that it is worth more, much more than the $3.62 in silver, depending. Check this Google shopping page out. Some of these coins will go for $900 today. So they're saying a denarius will go for about 900 That's back in 2017. I suspect that would be more than that now. What has changed, would anyone say a day's wage in Roman time is worth $900 by today's reckoning? His, history of city is a determinant factor. Coin quality is also a big part of that, but because of the nature of antiquity, the historical value, value of a denarius can make it much more valuable. It's out of print. Authentic versions of this coin can't be found in today's world. Now, y'all going to see in a minute why I'm reading this. A denarius today is an heirloom. It's a piece of history. It's an artifact. It has increased the value of the coin. As it turns out, this force is still in play when it comes to modern forms of currency that are out of print or otherwise difficult to find. Zimbabwe trillions. According to BanknoteWorld.com, Zimbabwe dollars represent some of the most unique antiquated currencies that were ever printed. With 14 zeros, the $100 trillion Zimbabwean dollar bill has the most number of zeros to ever be printed on a single note. Now, I have some of these, right? Now, when I was buying them a few years ago, People thought I was crazy. Nah, they because that was you know Zimbabwe. They were throwing their money away in the streets in Zimbabwe. They actually lived out what the scriptures are saying. See, when it comes to the Bible, people are thinking worldwide some of these prophecies, but actually these prophecies have been fulfilled in pockets 
around the world at different times. So Zimbabwe was throwing their money. It was it was worth nothing, and they went back to the U.S. dollar. And you know, of course, the U.S. had something to do with them, their dollar being worthless, right? But what y'all don't understand about that one hundred trillion dollars Zimbabwean dollar? It is actually a note. I mean, not a note. It's a uh, a bond. It's I, I forgot what it is. It's another term. I'm not using the right term. But that note, that bill, is the bill to get if you can get your hands on one now. It's so at that time they were worth about eighty dollars. Right now it's going to cost you about. I could tell you right now. Uh, Bank note world. This is where I bought mine from. I think it's about three hundred dollars for that note. Uh, $100 $220.79 for that bill. Now, so if they do have a a financial reset, that bill is going to be worth a lot of money. So all the people that laughed about that, they're not going to be laughing when it happens. And you can't tell me it's not going to be worth them because everybody and their mama was buying them up. You see? Uh, some were saying it was just going to be for collectors. But everybody was buying them. I know some people that got hundreds of those bills. All right. Additionally, there were only a few million copies of this bill ever printed, and they are quickly disappearing. If you don't know where to find one, you'll have trouble getting one. You can get them for around $80 today. So that was back in 2017. I just told you now it's $220. What would be the value of each piece of history in 20 or 30 years? It could double, triple, quadruple, or more. Why am I telling you this? We, you have to get your silver and start taking your, the money, your disposable money, and investing in currencies, different currencies. Don't invest in the U.S. dollar because they're just printing money like it ain't nothing. It's pretty soon, high inflation, our dollar's going to crash, and everybody else's money is going to be worth more than ours. You can bank that one. That is going to happen. If they're about to do another round of stimulus, and if y'all don't know it, these corporations are the biggest recipients of this stimulus. They get millions and billions of dollars, these different industries, and they get money for just keeping their doors closed. Where are they getting the money from? They're just making it up out of thin air off the computer. But when tax time comes, guess who's going to pay? You guys. A little $1,200 that they gave y'all, they're going to come a-knocking for that. Anyway, that's my tidbit on gold and silver. Start buying it and buying it feverishly, okay, uh, as much as you can. Uh, you can get gold, but I say silver. That's all I've been really buying is silver. Right, I'm going to get a call on. This is going to be a short night, just letting y'all know. Uh, let's see. Press 1 if you got a question uh, or forever hold your peace. I think I got a couple of email questions that I need to answer, and I'll answer those and get off. All right, three one three seven three seven. Pure energy from the D. What it do, I can Hey, peace. What's going on, bro? How you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Love the information. The show is all one hundred, one hundred percent. Yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. So what you got for Vietnam, me? What you want to share? Vietnam Dong. Might want to get you some Vietnam Dong, too. 
Oh, I got that too. I got Vietnam and uh, the Chinese Yuan. Um, mm-hmm. All I got, I got quite a few. Iraqi Denon. All of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You. Okay. But I'm holding in on that silver. That's where the bread. That's where the, the the transformation of wealth is going to be in the silver. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt, because it's got a longer target destination. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's just real simple. I started buying silver at fourteen dollars. You can go to my mm-hmm. Instagram page, Septimius Bay. I've been putting silver up there. Mm-hmm. Need mm-hmm. to listen to that, bro. Right now, I think I think silver is trading around nineteen twenty dollars now. Yeah, the last time that? I saw it, brother, it was at $22. $22. So just two weeks ago was $18. So it's you going. You know what I'm talking about? It's going. Yeah, so <laughs> it's going. Huh? And once and it disconnects from that fake market, the the the, the, the uh, commodities market, because you know that's fake. Yeah. Yeah. Know, those contracts, once it disconnects for that, Silver is going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but just like you said, too, I wanted to touch on this real quick because it all comes in. Yeah, that gold and silver and these currencies is nice, but like the brother was telling you, we going through spiritual awakening right now on this planet. It's mm-hmm. called a revelation. It's called a revelation. See, the word revelation means to unveil, to uncover, to let something be known that was otherwise being held back. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, a lot of people read the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, you would understand that verse also in Revelation when it says, in the last days, the wisdom of the wise ones will be broken. Now, what exactly mm-hmm. does that mean? Well, let's look at the word wisdom. So that means somebody's got some intelligence, has some knowledge, right? Okay, the wise ones. That means it's a group of people who call themselves uh, got more knowledge than some other people. The wisdom of the wise ones will be broken. If you break in somebody's wisdom, that means your wisdom or your knowledge or your truth is more powerful than theirs. Mm-hmm. What I've seen, been trying to tell y'all, and this is how I think a regular person would understand it. All this brother been trying to tell y'all, man, is that, look, the Bible is true prophecy. Okay, yeah, some stuff's been added, some things been taken away, and I believe through my own personal that some of the translations got jacked up. But oh, nonetheless, yeah, but nonetheless, if you look at it as, a, as an overall source of information, you cannot doubt that these things are coming true right before our own eyes. Now, that you cannot refute. I don't give a damn what or who you believe in. Mm-hmm. All the brother trying to say, See, tighten up tighten what, up on your spiritual side. 
Everything ain't going to need it. Listen, what's about to transpire, you know, what we've been experiencing is nothing compared to what's about to transpire. And if your spiritual game ain't strong, you're going to, you're going to, it'll be like a storm and you ain't going to be able to walk on that water. You're going to be afraid. That's what it says. But see, a lot of people, man, they don't even read their own Bible. The Bible said the end ain't coming overnight. Well, it's going to come in one night. Well, but guess what? It's going to be a domino effect. It's going to happen me, in me, stages. Let me be real with you. The end is already it's happened. It's over. Exactly. What you're seeing is... Which is, see, be, people think that, you know, we don't, it, 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 this, this is it. It's done. Now you're just seeing the symptoms of what over means. See, right now people are grasping to go back to where we were. Let's put it back to normal. Now, these same people hated the system. Now they went to the system and put it back to where it was. It's like, no, we ain't going back. This trade is gone. Right. This this is a snowball effect. And this snowball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They make yeah. it already obvious that we don't give a damn about how you feel. We're gonna make you we're gonna try to make you wear a mask. And here's the funny part about it, they're not making anybody wear a mask. They're giving everybody illusion that they have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. The only people enforcing mm-hmm. mask wearing is the the people in the streets, the people you're walking by, looking at you all crazy. Like today, mm-hmm. you know, I've been going walking last few mornings, and I parked the Red Sea every time I walk down the street. Because when I walk down, people walk in the street away from me. I ain't got to move. I just keep walking. And they just mm-hmm. walking. I'm like, ain't this, ain't this crazy? They just walking on the southern side of the street or walking out in the street just so they don't walk by me. Yeah, I keep my head up and keep walking. Like whatever, I'm not going in the street <laughs> to get around you. <laughs> today, about six people did that. Six people did that, and unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> most of them right. were people that looked like me. But it was my people, people that looked like me right. that wanted to walk in the street. And it was one Caucasian fellow. He walked right on by me like nothing. We, we, we greeted each other and kept it moving. My people was walking in the street. I'm like, God, Lee, they got us, man. They got a lot of us mentally. That mind is so powerful, and that's what they got. And they don't know they got. They really believe that you know they in control. No, you're not. You're not in control. Right. Out of control. Exactly. You got people believing that walking in the fresh air is dangerous for you. It's 90 exactly. degrees, almost 100 degrees out there. People walking down the street with masks in 100 degree weather. I'm and like, are you The air is already thick enough to breathe. And you got a mask on in the street? Humidity 80% choking your ass already. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, oh, this wow. Me, this is what kills me. You got an N95 dust mask on your face. The damn box when you bought that mask, it sit there and tell you this thing only stops shit up to three microns and larger. A goddamn virus Mm -hmm. is anywhere from 240 
to 120 nanometers. That's what mm-hmm. the size of a virus is. Well, they, see, the powers that have created these rules know that it doesn't work, and they know what they're doing. It's just a mind control operation. Exactly. That's exactly. it. We can get these kids to do whatever we tell them to do. All we got to do is put it on the news. And put, I was just about on. to say, put, put it on TV. <laughs> put it on the put TV. We done got them programmed so hard that we all we got to do is put it on the news. They're going to do it. They, this, is a, this is an experiment. This really is. To see how far mm-hmm. they can go. They exactly. just touch, testing people to see how far they can go. And they, they, they and I can tell you right now, it looks like they, they winning. Hey, they, hey, they winning, bro. It's paying off. Going, going <laughs> straight. Going, look, on their way straight over the edge. Mm-hmm. They getting it. On that wide space. There's only few finding that straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. There's only a nobody, few finding. Nobody. All these tough guys, all these militia tough guys, white and black, they just talking. Yeah. Nobody running up there and trying to take over nothing. They know. they. It's, this present education system has worked because nobody's doing nothing but sitting back complaining. That's it. Right. You know. You know. But anyway, Septimius, anything else? Oh, man, just good to hear from you, man. All right, good to hear from you, too, man. Peace. Um, All right, man. Peace to the God. All right, y'all, it's 810. I told you it's going to be a short show. Um, You know, I just got off the road. I said I just wanted to share some things. Okay, some good things are coming up. Just want to announce some announcements. Uh, I'm going to have another CPM webinar, some updates on how to you get your – Get your credit without even giving up the social or CPN number. That's coming. I'll give you the date on that. And then I'm, a ha- I'm going to do another uh, court procedure webinar to kind of incorporate with the child support and all other stuff, how y'all do, do these motions to uh, get out of some of this, these, this heat that you're finding yourself in. All right. Um, with that being said, I'm going to leave y'all with a little um, – Reverend Knight, something positive. If I can get it pulled up. Um, if I don't get in here before I pull it up, that'll be it. All right, let's see, let's see. Reverend I, let's see which one. Uh, uh, no, that's only three minutes. Leave something longer than that. All right, remember, while I'm looking for this, uh, Jessica and Tasia shows every Thursday. And on Sunday, starting, I think, the 8th of August, is going to be the uh, homeschooling show. Very important. I've actually been working hard doing that for my daughter for this upcoming uh, new uh, school year. She is definitely not going into classroom. The choice was virtual learning or homeschooling, and, um, you know, she's, she, you know, I got to admit, she's a little indoctrinated. She wants the virtual learning, 
So I she's 13, about to be 14. I said, if I'm going to force the homeschooling on her, I'm going to kind of work her in there. So I picked out a homeschooling program to kind of work her in there. So by the cause school is not starting until September 8th, they, 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 um, uh, they're starting later than usual. So hopefully by that time I can kind of, I don't want to fight her on this because then it'll make it harder for me to teach her. Um, but I got to say, I, I've been challenged before by some things. This whole homeschooling is a challenging thing because especially if you haven't done it, you know, you're the teacher, you're going to be, you have to figure out lesson plans. And that's why um, that Sheba is going to be here to help with that, help people with that. If you want to do that for your child, it's, it is challenging because it's new. And you have to change your mind because you're so used to sending our children to sit in front of dictators. That's what we're doing. You know, we call them school teachers, school teachers, but they're many Hitlers. Do as I say. Don't question me. Don't critically think. They're many Hitlers. They're Hitlers. You know, I'm calling it like it is. I know I might have some teachers on the line, but you've been trained to be Hitler. Uh, I, I played the whole Prussian school thing at the beginning of the show, showing you that that's where it came from. Um so with my daughter being in school indoctrinated for so many years to try to get into this homeschooling, respecting me as the teacher, it's a transition. So I have to I have to do it slowly. And I think I'm, I'm going to be able to pull it off. Then I'm also uh, going to talk to my son. I'm, I'm probably going to homeschool my grandson, you know, and get him at an early age. He's five. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I want to make a difference do something different than I did with my other children. All right, with that being said, um, yeah, this one's a good one. All right, peace. Reverend Ike is the founder and senior minister of the United Christian Evangelistic Association, and he is its founder. He is also an author. He uh, has authored Reverend Ike's Secrets for Health, Happiness, and Prosperity for You, and he has a lot of cassette tapes also. Those will be available, by the way, the book and the cassette tapes, out on the patio when we take a break in about an hour. So all of that's available. He has lectured nationally and internationally. He is very well known. He, uh, about the age of 14, felt something within, say, you've got to be in service to the Great Spirit. And you've got to teach people how to be wealthy and happy and, and let their light shine. And uh, so he began his journey at that point doing that very work and has continued to do that. He has a very large church in New York called the United Church. And it has a seating capacity of 5,000 people. Aren't we jealous? Yeah. Mm. yeah. And uh, he travels all around. He has um, uh, other works going on in very many places with other leaders. So he's a dynamic, dynamic person. And I know we're just going to have an excellent time as we enjoy Reverend Ike. Thank you. Well, good evening. 
I want to thank Dr. Bassett and this very fine congregation for inviting me back to St. Peggy's Cathedral. <laughs> I don't know what took you so long to invite me back, but I hope it's not this long again. Anyway, we have an interesting subject tonight, and I want to get right into it. I will probably not be using this fantastic podium very much. I'm an evangelist, you know, and I'll be jumping around from lap to lap. <laughs> I'm going to do this first session, which will be about an hour. Then we'll have a break so that you can buy out all the books and tapes. And then we'll do a final hour to give you your money's worth. If you buy out all the books and tapes. By the way, I'll be autographing all of Reverend Ike's books and tapes at the break and at the end. No papers or programs or napkins, please. <laughs> Only the books <laughs> and the tapes. We're talking about how to beat the recession and have plenty of money and prosperity. And I want to make sure that you didn't wander in here to the wrong seminar tonight. <laughs> so everybody who's here tonight, are you interested in having plenty of money and prosperity? <laughs> wow, yes, you are at the right place tonight. The first thing that I'd like to have you do now is stand. We're going to beat the recession. You can't beat it sitting down. <laughs> when I did this particular talk at my church in New York, I gave everybody in the congregation a stick. There's a wise guy right there. <laughs> getting ahead of me. But he's right. Guess why I gave everybody a stick? Why? To beat the recession. <laughs> if you don't beat it, it will beat you. Because you hear about it in the newspaper every day. On radio and on television. And so I decided to take up arms. and do something about it from a science of mind point of view. Oh, and by the way, even though I have a subject, I never let my subject interfere with what I have to say. I'm an evangelist, and you know, an evangelist talks about so many different things at one time. So whatever I have to say, I say it, whether it's on the subject or not. Now, I want you to get yourself mentally poised 
For what we came to do tonight, we came to beat a negative idea. We came to take the truth and swing it at the negatives in our own minds so that we do not become mesmerized with the idea of recession. Okay, the first thing that you do to beat this idea of recession is refuse to participate. <laughs> Suppose they gave a recession and nobody participated. <laughs> The recession would be a total what? Flop. So we're going to start out with an affirmation here. We're going to start out with a declaration. I was born and raised in the South, and we used to play some little ring games, and in one, we would say, put your hands on your hip and let your backbone slip. We're going to get sassy here and make a declaration. And it's important. And it's this. I absolutely refuse to participate in the recession. Come on, put your hands on your hips and say that. I absolutely refuse to participate in the recession. You see, you've got to get that attitude going. You know, we, we hear the expression every once in a while, he's got an attitude, she's got an attitude. It's okay to have an attitude if it's a right attitude. And yet, you know, as you walk through the world, you have to have an attitude. Because your attitude does at least two things. It keeps away things and it draws things to you. It keeps away that which is not like unto it. If you have the attitude, am I going to participate in any recession? Well, the recession will run from you. <laughs> I like the way Paul said it. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so one of the things that we want to accomplish in this seminar tonight is to get a mindset that we do not have to participate in the world's thinking. And you're in the right place because I'm sure you hear plenty of this from time to time. So just before you sit down again, I'm going to have you make this declaration. You're going to put your attitude out there. This is going to be your attitude. I'm not going to participate in any recession. I want you to say it with an attitude. Come on, say it with your body language. Come on. I'm not going to participate in any recession. I don't want anything to do with it. Come on. I refuse it. I refuse it. 
said, I'm participating in success. Prosperity, Prosperity and infinite money. If you like that, go ahead. That's throwing down the gauntlet. You may be seated for a moment. I did go to theological cemetery, I mean seminary. <laughs> and they taught me a little homiletics, whatever that is, hermeneutics. One of the things that they taught me was that you're supposed to define your subject. And so I would like to deal with the definitions for the word recession, money, and prosperity for a moment. Those of you that like to write, this is a good time to write. Not only that, it's a good time to open your study guide, Reverend Ike's study guide. You will find me very subtle. thought you'd never ask. <laughs> page 15, page 81, and page 37 for starters. <laughs> Those of you who did not yet get a copy of the study guide, <laughs> you may do so at the break so that you'll have it for the second session. Now, let's deal with this term recession for a moment. I find it very interesting. Do you know that recession means going backward, quite literally? It means to go backward. <laughs> Who wants to do that? Let me hear you say, I ain't going backward. <laughs> recession means going backward to being less, doing less, and having less. I ain't going backwards. I'm not going that way. Come on, shake your heads and say, I'm not going that way. You see, you have to establish your direction in your consciousness. See, many times when people say, well, nothing's happening in my life. Why aren't things working? Well, you ain't saying nothing. You got to say something. You got to say which way you're going. That's affirmation. And sometimes you may need the denial of, well, I'm not going that way. And all of these negative ideas, after a while, if you don't welcome them, they may go somewhere else. Just be sure that you're not the somewhere else for other people's negative ideas. Now, there's a story about recession beginning on page 15. Open your books there. Yeah. 
since you don't have your book yet, I'll encapsulate it for you until you get the book. It tells about a man who himself did not have very much formal education, but he wanted better for a one son that he had. And he was a hot dog vendor. Sold hot dogs from a cart. And he managed to make a fair living for his family and to send his son to college to get an MBA. Where's Nader with the MBA? But anyway, and so his son went to college and learned all of these business theories. When he graduated, he came home and said to his father, he says, Dad, you know, according to what they taught me in school, there's going to be a recession. And people are not going to buy your hot dogs any longer. Things are going to get bad in this economy. And so the man began to think about it. Well, I sent my son to that school to learn about all of these things, so he must know. And so he mentally accepted the idea of a recession. And sure enough, his business began to get bad. And after a while, he was out of business. And he said something that's rather pathetic. He says, well, you know, my son sure is wise predicting these things. <laughs> it was self-fulfilling prophecy. You see, we are always prophesying. Every one of us is a prophet. There is a prophet in every man, in every mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts prophesy your future. The nature of your thoughts. The tendency of your thoughts. I like that verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, the thoughts of the righteous tend only to plenteousness, meaning abundance of good for himself and for everybody else. So we must not become infected with the belief in recession. That's the first thing. We must not accept it. We've got to learn how to deliberately examine the ideas that present themselves to us. That's why it's good to be a student of the science of mind. Because you're taught how to use your mind. You're taught how to examine ideas. And what to admit to your thinking process and what not in terms of the good that you desire to be, to do, and to have. Now, let's talk about money for a moment. Let me hear everybody say money. Oh, boy, I'm in the right place. I see there's no money rejection complex around here. You know, I can tell sometimes when I tell people to say money that some people are having problems even saying it. There were, there were, there were about 25 people here who, could, who couldn't quite get it out of their mouths this time. We're going to say it again so that I can catch them and exercise the anti-money demons. I mean, everybody say money. Money! You faked it that time, didn't you? <laughs> but like the lady says, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Since I'm talking about money, I'd like to give just a little definition of it. And there's something about that in Reverend Ike's study guide, page 81. What page? 81. Boy, I'm telling you, it's a bright group tonight. <laughs> and it is called, What is Your Financial Psychology? 
But first, I would like to give my definition. M maybe uh, I could get Terry Hudson to write this on the board over there for your benefit in case you miss it, but you shouldn't miss it anyway. To me, this is my definition for money, and I have many, and I'll probably throw out many of them during the course of the seminar. Basically, money is the energy of the mind. Say that with me. Basically, money is the energy of the mind. And that nice green stuff is really only a symbol of the energy of the mind. The way you use the energy of your mind. Now, I'm going to be talking about money off and on this first hour and the last, the second hour. But there's something about money that I want to tell you that I'm not going to tell you till the second hour after you buy your book. <laughs> Seriously, I want to tell you something never to say about money again. And I'm going to, don't write that on the board yet. And I'm going to remind me to tell you that when we come back right after the break. But on page 81, what is your financial psychology? There are a couple of passages here that I'd like to share with you. Everything is a condition of the mind. The idea comes first, and then the manifestation of that idea. You can't be, do, or have anything until you first have the idea of it in your mind. That's why in dealing with this idea of recession, this idea of going backward, being less, doing less, and having less, that's why, to begin with, we threw that out of our minds. We disassociated ourselves with it mentally. And the last passage on this that I'll have time to read at this moment. I have discovered some very interesting psychological reasons why people have money problems. Anybody here have ever had money problems? Not anymore. No way you... <laughs> got quiet that time. I guess sometimes they do have money problems. <laughs> your problems with money are your abundance of money for that matter. Begin with what I call your financial psychology, which is your attitude toward money. And we're going to be working on this. And in the next session, what I would like to do is entertain some questions and I would like to help those of you who are still having a problem with what I call the money rejection complex to get rid of that so that money can come to you in a more abundant manner. We're going to do some work on that right now, so I'm going to ask you to stand up again. That's so you don't go to sleep on me. Not that you would dare. I just may do that if it gets any hotter here, but they're videotaping this and I want to look cute. <laughs> now, I want you to ask yourself this question in the first person with your body language as well as with your voices and say, what is my financial psychology? Come on. You know, you really need to write these questions down. Sit, sit down and begin to write. There's another question I want you to write. Don't worry, I'll let you stand up again. The second question is, what do I think and feel about money? What do I think and feel about money? 
We're going to break that question down even further. Do I think and feel that it's wrong to have money? How much money is too much for me to have? Greedy. It's good for you to answer these questions and settle them in your mind. Because in your mind you have to come to peace with money. Now, you've heard me use several times already the term money rejection complex. That indicates attitudes which actually kick money away from people. All day long people think and say things that actually keep money away from them. Because again, I define money as a psychic vibration. And negative attitudes, negative feelings about money will actually kick it away from you. I've had some interesting cases lately at my church in New York where large sums of money were due to people and for years that money could not come to them. Uh -huh. Now I've picked up something here already. There are some people in this, in this audience here right now that have some large sums of money that's due to them, but it can't get to them. It can't get to them because of certain negative attitudes about money. I did this at the church in New York, and one lady the next week, she managed $106,000 that had been trying to get to her for over seven years, got to her that week. Wouldn't you want yours to get to you next week? In the morning, huh? Let, let, me, ask, let me actually answer, uh, ask a question and have you just sort of that random answer. How many of you out there know of some money that's due to you that you've been having difficulty getting? Let me see your hands. Stand up. Those, those people. We're going to do some work on that right now. See, we have an altar call here too. You're getting saved now. From the money rejection complex. I want to hear this as a response, and this is to help everybody that's standing. Why do you think it is that the money, that you and the money have not yet come together? All at the same time, I can hear you. I need a mic runner. Lady, come here for a moment. This is going to help, this is going to help everybody. You know, I, I didn't come here just to tell you some good theory. You get good teaching all of the time. But, you know, we've got to have what we call here demonstration because that's the other part of the teaching. And if we don't, if we don't have demonstration, then, you know, there's been something wrong with the way that you've received that teaching. You've really got to apply it. Now, why did you say you think that you've had problems getting together with that money that you think's due you? Well, basically, I haven't seen myself. You know, I haven't seen myself having it, so I don't have it yet.
it's like it's out there, and I know it's coming soon, but I haven't opened up for it. <laughs> All right, when do you want to open up for it? Right now. <laughs> Why don't we help her open up for it? Are you going to help her open up for it? Thank you. <laughs> And here's good news for all of you. You know, when you help other people, you help yourself at the same time. How do you think I'm so healthy and wealthy? <laughs> because I help people prosper. That's what I do all the time. Constantly. And, you know, every day people send me money in telegrams and in letters from all parts of the earth. They send me their tithes and offerings. Because, you see, I teach them to give. And, of course, you know about that here because that's the way you're building St. Peggy's Cathedral <laughs> with your tithes and offerings. You know about the prospering power of giving. Let's all point at her, and we're going to give her a good treatment right now. What's your first Wonderful. name? Wonderful. Sharon. We're going to talk to her, and remember that when we help her to break a loose, it will break things loose for us also. Sharon? Sharon. We bless you and love you. We bless you and love you. And we see that big money coming to you. And we see that big money coming to you. Amen. <laughs> we see you with it right now. We see you with it right now. Whatever needed to happen. Whatever needed to happen. On the unconscious, subconscious level. To clear you for that money, we see that it has already happened. And we see you enjoying that money. And it is wonderful. Thank God. Come on. Thank you. Whoa. Okay, so. All right. You may be seated for a moment. But, you see, she was able to somewhat identify the problem. She said she just couldn't see herself with it. I remember once in Boston, when I went there to do a meeting, a very well-educated young businessman picked me up in his brand-new green Cadillac convertible to take me to the meeting. And he said to me, he said, you know, last year this time, I couldn't see myself with a car like this. I said, yes, that's why you didn't have it last year this time. And you know, that's just the perfect opening for a commercial. Outside at the break, there is a wonderful tape by Reverend I called Your Power of Visualization. Let me hear you say visualization. You see, Sharon said she had not received that money because she couldn't see herself with it. And in this tape on visualization, I give you all of the techniques and the actual treatments for visualizing yourself, seeing yourself with good health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money. And a lot of people have heard these teachings that I've done over the years on visualization, and they have had marvelous, fantastic experiences. When I first started doing this, I used to help people also visualize for vacations. You know, in, in places in, in the Caribbean or in Mexico or wherever, and you'll find that here. And I've had people write me 
letters from hotels in Spain and in other parts of Europe and in other parts of the world who told me that the very first time that they did the visualization with me that unexpectedly a chain of events came about and they got the money and the wherewithal to travel. So treat yourself to one of these albums on visualization. When I repackage this, it is going to be retitled something like the Master of Life course because once you learn the secret of visualization and how to do that then everything is within your means all oh, while I'm doing commercials here's 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 Reverend Ike's tape thank God for money this is being repackaged as the master of money course what did I say the master of money course so treat yourself to these you know just just run up that Amex Visa, Master Charge, best thing you could ever put on it. By the way, one of the techniques for beating the recession is by becoming a bookaholic and a tapeaholic. Come on, what are those two terms? Bookaholic and tapeaholic. I said that recession means going backward to being, doing, and having less. But let there be no recession in your mind. Let there be no recession in your thinking. Let there be no recession in your working in the kingdom of your mind. And good church services like these, good classes like we have here, good books and tapes, all of this helps, to do, helps you to do the work in the kingdom of your mind so that recession cannot take over. Among many other interesting things, Jesus said these words, I must be about my Father's business. Say that. I must be about my business. Say it again while I take a drink of water. And do you know what the Father's business is? Working in the kingdom of your mind to keep it on a spiritual basis, to keep it on a positive basis. And let nobody fool you, this is work. Say that with me. This is work. But you learn to love this work, and it's work that you have to do regularly. It's work you have to do every day. Why? Because the world is constantly after your mind. You turn on the TV, what are they after? Your mind. They spend billions of dollars on Madison Avenue making up different commercials. Oh boy, there's the one that tells you not only that you have a headache, but it tells you what kind of headache. You don't have just an ordinary headache. You have an exceptional headache. Prosetta. This shows us why we've got to constantly be working in the kingdom of the mind. You've got to constantly be coming to these services, getting into these classes, staying into these books, listening to these tapes. Because what the mind listens to, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, if the mind keeps listening, it will believe. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's true or false, good or bad, if the mind keeps listening, the mind will believe. Say that. If the mind keeps listening, 
the mind will believe. I have an old cliche that I say all the time, everywhere I go, and it's this. Good health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money. Let's hear it. Good health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money. Let's hear it again. Good health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money. Why do I say that? Because I want my mind to keep hearing that. And then it begins to demonstrate that back to you. You see, it's not only a matter of what the world says to you, it's a matter of what do I say to myself about myself. That's a good question to write down. Repeat it after me. What do I say to myself about myself? That's very important. You need to write that down and, and you need to go over these questions in the privacy of your own home, of your own mind. You've got to constantly be about the Father's business. All right. Now I want to say something about prosperity in terms of definition. Turn now quickly to page 37. Page 37. Well, it looks like I'll have to read it for you again. Until you get out to the break. Let me hear you say prosperity. Prosperity. Doesn't it sound lovely? I mean, the very word, I love it. Prosperity. Prosperity. Now, on page 37. And before I read this, let me give you my definition of prosperity. And all of these definitions are inclusive. To me, prosperity is total well-being. Prosperity is total well-being. Say that. Prosperity is total well-being. Say it again. Prosperity is total well-being. In some of the TV and press interviews that I did over the past couple of days. Why, I didn't know that the press would catch up with me and the media would catch up with me like this. Did you see that front page, first page today? Interesting. Well, go ahead and clap then. Don't patty cake. Go ahead and do it. But the media kept asking me, was all of this greed? <laughs> Well, I don't know, who knows? Maybe it is positive greed. <laughs> some people ask the question from time to time, Reverend Ike, is it right for some people to have so much while others have so little? Yeah. Yeah. I said, well, that's your choice. <laughs> don't criticize me for what I choose. I choose to be abundant. And, you know, they used to say to me, well, why, why do you have so many Rolls Royces? I said, well, they're making them. Somebody's got to have them. <laughs> Maybe one of the reasons I have so many is because you didn't choose to have one. <laughs> but even so, you know, whatever we choose, the universe will produce. So everybody is under the verdict of his own choice. And so I don't see it as greed. 
But I will put in this disclaimer, and I said this as they interviewed me out there, I think it was Channel 9. When it comes to material money and material things, we do not serve these things. These things serve me or us. And as long as you can keep that balance, it is just fine. You see, money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And you see, and I'm striking a chord with some of you that can't quite handle money yet. You say, uh-huh, that's what I always thought. <laughs> Do you know why it is a lot of people have problems with money? A lot of people are afraid of money. Write that question on your notes for you to deal with. Am I afraid of money? I want you to examine yourself, y'all, because some of you are. But we're going to cast out that demon of fear of money before we leave here tonight. I tell about this almost every time I do a seminar. In Boston, many years ago, when I was a more flamboyant evangelist doing... <laughs> doing the healing and blessing meetings, a 75-year-old lady, Pentecostal pastor evangelist, came to my meeting one Sunday night. This dear lady, minister, was really afraid to even pray for what she wanted. She was afraid it would come between her and God. But that one daring moment, I helped her to break loose. And she said, I really want my own house. She gave the money, went home, went to bed. Before she got out of bed the next morning, the head of the trustee board called her. They called her mother. And said to her, Mother, there's a new housing development in the suburbs here. Beautiful houses. And I and the trustees had an informal meeting and we were talking to the members and we have decided that we're going to buy a brand new house in that new development. And we want you to get up. We're going to come and get you and take you out there and let you pick the one that you want. Before sundown that very day, the next day after the night when she risked praying for what she wanted, after many years of suffering without it, before the sun went down, she had her own house and invited me out there. I used to go out to see her when I was stationed in Boston back in the 60s. And I remember the first time I went out to visit and to have dinner with her in a new house. When we drove up, there was a brand new elect Buick Electric 225 sitting up in the driveway. And you know how I can be. I walked in and I started teasing. I walked over and I kissed her and I said, Mother, I said, are you enjoying this beautiful house? Is this beautiful house coming between you and God? She said, no, son. I can serve God a lot better in my own house. You know, people say to me, Reverend Ike, all the stuff that you've got, does it come between you and God? I said, no, do you realize how, how well you can praise God sitting in the back of a Rolls Royce Phantom 5? 
I sit in the back of one of those Phantom Fives going down the road, just praising the... Oh, how I love Jesus. <laughs> well, anyway, let's go back to the lady pastor's house. I said, Mother... I saw a brand-new Buick 225 sitting in a driveway out there. I says, whose is that? She said, well, son, when you taught me how to ask for the house. <laughs> and I saw how fast that worked and that that didn't come between me and God. I said, well, God, while you're giving me the house, it's got a carport. Give me something to put under it. Sometimes I may hire a new driver that's from the mid, that, that's from out here where you folks are laid back, you know. And so when they're first driving in the city of New York, they're stopping for pedestrians and... <laughs> I usually say, hey, son, hold, wait, wait a minute, let me tell you something. I says, don't run over anybody. You just make them think you would. <laughs> If they got in your way. <laughs> well, anyway, how did I get on all that? Well, anyway. I was teasing her. I said, well, mother, does that brand new Buick Electra 225 come between you and God? She said, no, son. I get to my preaching appointments more relaxed and rested when I have a decent car to ride in. Now, there, there's some, some people here now, and I want, I want to deal with that before we close this session. I want to deal with that. I want to deal with this fear that you've had of getting what you want. You see, you've got to become at one with yourself. If you say you want to prosper, you've got to clear all the fears about it. Some of you weren't even aware that you were afraid of what you wanted. This dear lady, she was... She was aware that she was afraid of having her own nice house. She says, well, maybe I wouldn't love the Lord too much. But, you know, I really never could understand that. I can always love God better when I've got money to pay my bills and meet my needs and money to enjoy. You know, I can really love the Lord then. But anyway, who is it here? You're aware now that there's some good that you've been wanting, but you've really been afraid of it. Stand up. Let's help you. Oh, and by the way, at the end of the last session, we'll have baptism in the parking lot. <laughs> now, this will help not only you, but this will help everybody. When you say you want something, you've got to realize that certain responsibilities come along with it. A lot of people don't want the responsibility. A lot of people are afraid of the responsibility. I remember not too long ago at the church in New York, I said, how many of you single women here would like to have a husband? Oh, they put their hands up. 
Uh, how many of you would get out of bed and fix his breakfast? Mm. <laughs> that is chauvinistic. If you don't want to get up and fix his breakfast, just marry one who can hire you somebody to fix your breakfast. <laughs> but everything has responsibility, and some people are really afraid of that responsibility. I want somebody to tell me real quickly, all of you at the same time, why do you perceive that you've been afraid of getting what you want? Mm -hmm. Okay, write something down for me real fast, Terry. I've, I've, I've heard some of the feedback here. Afraid of other people's reaction. Now that's a big one. Say it again. I, I heard a couple of other things I wanted to deal with. Oh, afraid I may not lose it. Afraid, afraid I may lose it. Fear of loss would be another. I want to deal with this. Be seated for a moment. Let's work on this. A lot of people are afraid of other people's reaction to them being, doing, and having the good that they desire. Some of them are aware of it and some are not. I heard that here from several people. That is one of the things that you've got to break through. Other people's attitudes and ideas. Uh, I'll tell you something else. Once you really begin to evolve spiritually and in terms of prosperity, I'm going to be very frank with you. And once you start hanging around teaching like this, uh, a lot of your friends and relatives are likely to drop off. Excuse me, St. Peggy, for telling them the secret. <laughs> Art Linklater had a show one time titled People Are Funny. None of you kids remember that. <laughs> they are. If you be nothing, do nothing, and have nothing, they'll say, look at her, she ain't got nothing. Then if you get to work and be something, do something, and have something, they say, look at us, it thanks you so much. <laughs> you got to get unhung from that cross of other people's thinking. Uh, Reverend Ike says this, I am not other people's opinion. Let's hear it. I am not other people's opinion. Divorce yourself from that. But that's what keeps a lot of people. They're afraid of other people's opinions. They're afraid of what relatives would say, what friends would say, even afraid of what strangers would think. And then there's the fear of loss. They don't want it because they're afraid they might lose it. I had an interesting case of that in New York City some years ago. I used to walk down the aisle before the services to talk to the people. One young lady said to me, Reverend Ike, pray for me to get a job. I said, you've got it. She came back the next week and she was smiling and she said to me as I went down the aisle, Oh, Reverend Ike, I got the job. I got the job. She said, but Reverend Ike, I want you to pray for me to not lose my job. 
See why I told you you have to cuss if you preach in New York? <laughs> so there she was, glad in one moment that she got the job and fearing that she'd lose it with almost the same emotion. But you've got to unhang yourself from this. Let's all stand up now. Let, let's do some work before we close this session. Somebody said something else. And this I want to work with in the next session. Undeserving feeling. Put that there uh, for me, Terry. That is, that is possibly the worst bummer. How many of you have problems with, let, let's have some more confession now. How many of you really have problems with, with this business of feeling like you deserve? Turn around, look at all those sinners. <laughs> Put your hands down, that's all right. Baptism, as I said, is right after in the parking lot. Undeserving feeling. That is a bummer. All right, I've got to cut you loose from that particular thing right now. I can't let you... Uh, that demon has to be exercised. There is only one reason that you deserve all goodness and all of God's goodness. And there's a, there's a whole chapter on that in the book. What page is it on, Terry? Find it real fast. About deserve. You deserve all of God's goodness. That's the title of it. You can find that yourself. That's a chapter you need to get and you need to work on. But that, I think, is the most insidious attitude. Whatever insidious means. What does that mean anyway? <laughs> I heard some highfalutin speaker use that term. And people get that mostly from religion. There are two religious songs that I'll mention. There's one song that uh, a religious science practitioner in New York tells about because it's in his religious background before he came into religious science. And he said, it's the hymn whose words are, Lord, I am not worthy thy blessings to receive. Now that's when you feel like cussing and saying, oh, hell. Sit down for a moment. We're going, we're going out in a moment. You need to hear this. This will cast out the devils of undeservedness. There is only one reason that you deserve all of God's goodness. Let me approach it negatively for a moment. It's not because you are either good or bad. So that relieves you. <laughs> of the burden of trying to be good. I don't trust people that are too good. <laughs> you know why? Because they're under stress. 
<laughs> and somewhere, sometime, somehow, it's gonna snap. And there's gonna be hell to pay. Stay out of striking distance of real good people. Reminds me of the group of Salvationists who were holding a street meeting on the corner to save souls. And, you know, each the, the, there was the drummer and the people who were playing different instruments in the band, and they would sing the song and give their testimony. Finally, everybody sang and gave testimony, and it came time for the little old lady in the back that beats the drum to give her testimony. So she said, well, I used to drink, but I don't no more. She said, uh, I used to cuss, but I don't no more. She used to go to the movies, but I don't no more. After a while, after she made a list of what she doesn't do anymore, she finally stopped and she says, in fact, I don't do anything but beat this damned old drum. <laughs> now, that's not the kind of good that we're talking about here, but you... <laughs> You deserve all of God's goodness, not because you are good and not because you are bad. And I'll tell you, and being bad doesn't even disqualify you. Oop. I shouldn't have told some of you that because you're going to get worse. <laughs> no, that's not license. But being negative, you see, will hinder you from receiving the good that you deserve.